Hi. Hello. It's Devin and Alphonse. Yes, we're here before the intro music, strangely enough. Yeah, we're here with we're here with a special uh, announcement. Yeah. Uh, and that is that this episode you're about to listen to is is pulled from the, the deep archive. Yes, it's uh, it, we pulled it from the depths uh, because God didn't want us to put out the regular episode. Yes, we were uh, we were about to release, about to record an episode reviewing Metalocalypse, the most satanic show ever produced. It's friggin' brutal. But Alphonse's building was struck by lightning. Yeah, literally Zeus was like, nah. Yes, literally an act of God, which rendered us unable to record in time. So, and me unable to to look at weird street sharks porn for like a week, and that's that's <laughs> rough on me. You know, it's rough. You got to yeah. get the the SSP. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that good old SSP. <laughs> so today, instead, we've got for you uh, what was supposed to be the first episode of our podcast back in 2020, recorded well before that, actually. Yeah, it is our review of Wayne's World, uh, which is a movie near and dear to our hearts. Basically, we didn't put it out because we didn't think that the audio quality was where we wanted it to be, especially for the first episode of the podcast. So. Yeah, and especially on my side, because it was it's uh, crunchy. So it is a l- little bit crunchy. So take that. Take the production on that episode with a grain of salt. You know, it's a little bit it's a little bit wonky. It's a little bit. Uh, We're pretty awkward. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it, it, it's it's bumpy. You know, it's growing pains. But yeah. I am I had to listen to it re-listen to it to make sure it was usable and it's you know it crosses the it's fine for it's it's better than nothing <laughs> it's better than nothing which is yeah. why we're putting it out yeah. i hope that you enjoy this episode of ours wayne's world and next week we will hit you with metalocalypse yeah it's gonna be brutal yeah it's gonna be the, the most brutal thing i have ever heard in my entire life well it's totally brutals <laughs> Just, just fucking, just brutal. Oh, it's brutals. Is this art good? Welcome to the inaugural edition of Is This Art Good? My name is Devin. I'm here with my colleague, longtime best friend, and fellow consumer of entertainment, Alphonse. Hello. To begin our first episode ever, we'd like to give you a bit of an explanation of our concept and goal for this podcast, and hopefully shed some light on what it is that we'd like to achieve. So the driving force behind doing this whole thing is essentially to create a forum where we can discuss and sort of kick the shit out of each other's opinions on different forms of art, whether that's a movie, a book, a musical album, a short story, or whatever. Each episode, with the exception of this first one, will focus on two pieces of media, one from Alphonse and one from myself. At the end of the episode, we'll give each other a new work to absorb and prepare for the next session. It's sort of our hope that you'll read, listen, or watch along with us. Think of it sort of like a book club, where you check the thing out ahead of time and then come listen to what other folks have to say about it. For today, however, seeing as there have been no previous episodes where we present our suggestions, we decided to choose a film we've both seen many times, and one that hopefully lives fondly in the minds of our listeners, Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. Excellent. 
I just think this is like a really excellent, charming movie. I think that there's just a lot good about it, and there's not like much of anything to complain about, you know? It's true. Uh, I think one of my main main issues approaching it after like having seen it so many times is that there would be nothing fresh. Yeah, but of one thing that really stood out to me was the th- like the successful exploitation of stere- of character stereotypes. Like, um, are you referring to um, the everybody was kung fu fighting, and then with like, like the, the with the grimace, yeah. And he immediately Wayne is immediately just like, "Oof, that was bad." Hey, don't say that. And yeah, you notice well, even even like in, in the characters like nature themselves like noah vanderhoff the arcade owner is just like i am a businessman i don't know anything about television i have spots on love boat but this this is just chimps on a davenport in a basement he doesn't care he doesn't know he's just like where's my money going and then benjamin rob lowe's character is just like i'm slimy sign the contract So yeah, like I think that is is sort of interesting because they're successful with it, but that could that it could also be because they released it like thirty years ago. True. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not a recent movie, but also they like they break down stereotypes as well with like musicians being dumb and making Alice Cooper and his bandmates like oh yeah, Millie Wake. Yeah, it's it's very. Um uh subversive of those tropes and i think part of that is that like this was a comedy coming from like the golden era of those tropes of like the evil businessman and his like cronies that's very true and it's also it's sort of like um the same thing that like the flintstones movie did with john goodman where like it was a cartoon before where wayne's world was uh, an snl skit before yeah and they when, once you blow that up you can basically take that plot structure and turn that into you know just play with it as much as you want and put it in whatever situation basically just plug and play yeah it's it's so typical of like that time of like the 90s that it's like this is the evil business man and he's ruining the like fun art but what's what's also interesting to me is that like within the setting that they've created there's no external world like the universe sort of revolves around Wayne and Garth and their three helpers, yeah. like their three tech guys, and like they have, they don't seem to have any concept or interaction with it until they're signed and until they get introduced to like the big bad business world. Yeah, which is strange and cartoony in a movie that doesn't try to be cartoony. It it feels like how um, I almost feel like the approach to writing is similar in like the Spongebob movie where you take these goofy characters, this like duo, and then you like send them onto like a path that in their normal stories, in this case, like the skits, they would like never be on. And it's, it's like, it's like a big adventure, which I remember like tons of nineties movies, uh, advertising with that phrase. Yeah, absolutely. Because this, because the Wayne's world, like SNL sketches were just the TV show, the cable access show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of cool how like 
it makes that part of the narrative in a like by like going outside of it so it's like kind of meta but not well just right in the opening of the film they do a really good job of so it starts off with the with the commercial words noah's arcade on tv and then goes to rob Lowe in the bedroom with his person yeah 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 that too is such a like 90s thing to like open on commercials oh yeah true like not even i feel like there's examples of movies that like have that opening on commercials even if the commercials have like nothing to do with the plot like i feel like one of the teenage Mutant ninja turtles movies opened on like commercials okay well i think the uh the first live action one opens on like a newscast yeah 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 newscasts as well so that same sort of thing yeah yeah and what i what i like is that like she's flipping through channels and she finds Wayne's World and she's like, oh, hey, these guys. So it establishes sort of the popularity of the characters right off the bat. That someone so outside of their audience is still like, oh, yeah, this is a cool show. Exactly. And then right after that, it goes to like Wayne and Garth in th- where they are in like at their house. And then Wayne does the monologue, which I think plays a really good part in like reconciling the familiar SNL sketch audience with the unfamiliar like big world film audience. Totally. He's like, oh, I'm Wayne Campbell. I live in rural Illinois. Here's my story, blah, blah, blah. Name tags and hairnets. Yeah, that part's great. And I was, I was thinking about this too, like before I watched the movie, the ambiguity around their age, mm-hmm. like that they could, yeah. they could be like mid thirties bums living. They could in, be 50. They could be, they're like... They're 80. We have no idea. And no light is really shed on that until the second one, when Wayne's like, oh, this year Garth's finally got pubes. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers, sorry. <laughs> and, and even then, it's like, how? Exactly, because it, it's like, is he just like 35 and just getting pubes now? Like, it's still... <laughs> right? He's 80 and he's just getting pubes. Oh, Wayne, you didn't tell him about my pubes, did you? Oh, Wayne. No. I've been plucking them out for 50 years, but I just can't reach anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also noticed in that opening monologue where Wayne's introducing the audience to the film, basically. Right. He he has, like, some, some really prominent Canadian accent. There's, like, something he said where he like specifically has like a oh howdy there like kind of accent to it like western canadian slash minnesotan accent yeah yeah like a yeah. maybe even like an alberta type thing right well i mean we're canadian by the way he does but like there is sort of an homage to to tim hortons with stan makita's donuts because stan makita was another hockey player that played for the chicago blackhawks oh okay i didn't i didn't realize that this is this is deep lore yeah and that scene so that scene at the coffee shop is really interesting to me too because they come they get out after like picking up their drunk friend phil and Mm -hmm. they run into the cop right outside and right away he's like oh how's it going there guys blah 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 and like this goes to sort of how i was saying the universe revolves around them all of the secondary characters in the movie love them and know them. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're, they're minor celebrities because they have this cable access show. But no, like, they don't have anyone that thinks negatively of them other than the villain. And I feel like that's so interesting because, like, how many movies or, like, TV shows or stories can you think of 
that revolve around like someone's status as a minor celebrity. Very few, if any. Right? It's such a when you think about it, it's like kind of a really weird uh like type of character to base a movie around. Absolutely, because because they're basically just your average Joe. Yeah, yeah. But not quite. Oh, sorry. That was something I, I noticed. It was before they get to the coffee shop. Um, and it's in regards to like them singing Bohemian Rhapsody. At the end of that, like the end of that scene, when it's like playing the outro, they just kind of like, there's no real joke. They're just kind of like going along with it and like kind of groove into it. And it's just kind of like really endearing to see them being huge nerds for this music and enjoying it without the script of the film, like poking fun at them. And it kind of makes you like, it makes you feel like a really real friendship between all these characters. It helps you relate, relate to the, yeah, the reality of them relate to the reality of them. Yeah. Relate to reality. There you go. That's important. Well, I think throughout the film, there aren't really jokes. Every, almost every bit of the comedy in the film comes from breaking the fourth wall or just the way the characters are. Yeah. So it's very much about the people in it. You know, it's not like they're like, oh, here's like a campy. It's not. It's Except for the, the ad part. The, that's the true. product placement. That's, that's true. But that's, yeah, that's probably one of the best scenes in comedy, in my opinion. I, I think that that scene is amazing, but at the same time, it's if you're looking at this like I think from like a technical storytelling standpoint, like it's kind of the worst scene in terms of like oh, it this, shatters it. It completely it shatters it and it also is like, oh, are these characters actually greedy? But it doesn't Exactly. It, it adds a layer. <laughs> oh, sure, but like I feel like that's not what they meant to do necessarily but i still love it i think the intention for sure is to is to poke fun at it and to poke fun at like really obvious like the transformer one. Oh god yeah obviously this is later on but but trans product placement in in the first live action transformers movie oh quick bait check this out did you know that wayne's world predicted transformers did you know that i'm getting kickbacks every time someone google searches transformers <laughs> You're getting kickbacks? Kickbacks. That's what they call it, right? Kick Kickstarter? Whether you get money when, you know, kickbacks. Oh, that's royalty. You know what else? Um, speaking of Stan Makita's and sort of the, the, the nebulous universe that these people exist in. Yeah. Is Glenn, the manager. Wait, which one's Glenn? So, you know... If you kill a man in the dead of winter, steam will rise up from the wounds. Oh my god, yeah. And, like, okay, you get, like, right away you're like, this guy, like, there's something wrong with him. Nobody mm-hmm. says anything about it. They go, ho oh, ho, okay, Glenn. But his background, in a way, creates the mysterious external world that none of the other characters in the movie are privy to at all. Like, you mean... This guy is a window. This character is a window between the little centralized story world of the film and the greater universe. Now, a lesser man, an idiot, would say that you're reading too much into it. But I believe you're onto something. Because 
he is the only he's the only other character that the camera gets confused about and tries to follow. That's exactly he right. He's a protagonist in another story. Yes, and not knowing his background, the fact that we don't know where he comes from is what makes his really dark shit funny. But if we knew anything about where he comes from, it would be horrifying and dark and we'd be we'd probably feel sympathy for him, but because he's like sort of shoehorned into this comedic universe where that's not the vibe, he comes off as really out of place. Making a murderer season three coming soon. Glenn. Glenn. Ba-ba. American Vandal. Who did the donut <laughs> hole? Oh no. <laughs> is, the, is, is that the Pornhub like parody of it? Yeah. Horn pub. Oh, that's my favorite jazz bar. <laughs> yeah, that's probably good. <laughs> that's a yeah, good... it's Irish jazz. <laughs> like really weird improvised fiddle music with like a really like you can't tell if he's shitty or good but he's playing the bagpipes in some kind of way <laughs> that sounds like jazz but no but if you play the bagpipes then you know if he's good or not because it's bad because it's jazz hey like, oh yeah i play the saxophone that guy sounds freaking great man yeah and he's like <laughs> you know what um speaking of music can we talk about garth's drumming amazing that's real right like that's like totally real dana carvey plays the drums yeah amazing garth is way more interesting as a character than wayne is okay so i have a note about this too that like garth is so like competent at everything but like social interaction 100 percent he has this this op, like the really obvious strange sexual immaturity that's alluded yeah. to and like oh the girl at the cafe oh, oh you know yeah but then he's also like I reached across that desk and I told that lawyer I'm not going to jail for you or anybody and it's like whoa man like Garth's fucking Garth used bulk up yeah <laughs> <laughs> basically like he's an elect he's an electronics genius working with the like the arm in the studio. And the satellites, he's like, oh, I hear, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It's almost too easy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Garth, okay, sounds good, man. He has all these moments of just like, yep, he's just great at this. That's now. right. And he does have that like sort of social development, and it could be just because it's with Wayne, but when Wayne leaves the set and Garth's there by himself and they get into a fight later on, he stands up for himself and, you know, Till the handle breaks off and you have to find a doctor to pull it out again. <laughs> yeah. And that's, but that's like, no, Garth, like you fucking tell him what's up because he did that to you and that's bad and you shouldn't let your friends walk all over you. And, and Wayne's being a dickhead at that oh, totally. point. Totally. I feel like it covers Wayne being immature and like gaining maturity through the story really well. That's true. Even though it's like kind of a short heart or a short arc throughout the whole runtime of the film. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that it does an incredibly good job because the like the focus that it has on Wayne is sort of just like, he's the main character, he has the girlfriend, the villain's after him, and Garth's along for the ride. So Wayne's character is as like a plot propellant, but it, which gives Garth's character room to grow into what it is. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that's really nice about this film is like, the it's not just about Wayne it's like all of the side characters have 
a like good amount of depth to them as well because Cassandra like she's the one who's actually having the success through the story oh yeah totally she's she's actually like a really well-written female character I feel like especially for the time yep I agree because she's like they focus on like her being a musician and there's the scene in which um the fucking Mr. President scene right and it's like Normally, they'd use that scene as, like, an excuse to show her, like, hanging around in lingerie or something. And it would be just, like, so typical. But instead, it's, like, Mike Myers running around in his fucking tidy whities being, like, a fucking goof. And it's the best. I think what's interesting, yeah, because they sort of introduce Cassandra as, she's a, she's a babe. Oh, yeah. she's not really. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I think specifically her outfits are like fucking cool as shit. Like she is nothing if not just like super fashionable. I agree. Yeah, that's true. The um the Cantonese conversation is really good. Yeah, yeah. The fact right? that he's like, "Oh, I'm just a beginner. I'm, I'm just, just learning. learning." Yeah. <laughs> and then they like have this complex uh conversation involving their feelings. And that's like right. how people are thinking uh, on like a subconscious level. And they mention like Kierkegaard. Yeah. Well, shit. so like, just to con- just to clarify something, because the line is, was it Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten who said, if you label me, you negate me. It was Kierkegaard. I had to look it up tonight to clarify that. So yeah, that's fair. The, the fact that he mentions Kierkegaard and then like two seconds after is like, Zang is like the most like mood whiplash. Um, oh, also, Garth like is uh, one of his other talents is whistling in that scene where they're laying on the car. Yeah, where he's whistling the theremin. Yeah. Okay, is that is that like a theme that I just didn't recognize, or I think it is. Um... I'm wondering if it's related to Twilight Zone. Okay, I was kind of thinking Because he mentioned Twilight Zone earlier. Yeah. Uh, but maybe somebody will get mad at me for not knowing the Twilight Zone theme. But I don't know either. I just... But I have a hunch. But I have a hunch. Yeah. The other thing that uh, it does sort of strangely, that the movie does sort of strangely, is like subtle real-world commentary. Okay. Where when uh, they're doing their first episode and Wayne's interviewing... Noah in the studio and he goes what you know what's your most popular video game and Noah says Desert Storm Commando Warrior yeah and Wayne says oh that's related to the limited skirmish in the Middle East which is (laughs) which is like which is the Gulf War which was like one of the biggest conflicts yeah Wayne's world still relevant in in, still relevant not well we won't get into it but just that that sort of commentary yeah which I think is interesting and they do the same thing in um one of the SNL skits where that they have Aerosmith on and they discuss the fall of the Soviet Union. Oh, sweet, radical, excellent. Yeah, and they're like, well, you know, there's never been a, a legal precedent for the uh, such and such of the proletariat. So it's, wow. it's, again, like the musicians being smart and having really informed opinions on real-world issues, which I think is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me as well... Um, I just had like a weird moment in that scene where 
uh, Rob Lowe's character, Benjamin. Um, I just think of him as Rob Lowe. Um, Me too. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, Rob Lowe, you're a dickhead. I hate you. Yeah. I think that's why I just don't like Rob Lowe. I want to watch a movie where Rob Lowe and John Hamm like hang out and are just assholes. Man, he... <laughs> and you just hate them the whole time. I can't even... I know I've seen Rob Lowe and other stuff, but he's so much the asshole in Wayne's World to me that that's just what he is. Oh, yeah. It was weird seeing him in uh, Parks and Rec because he plays like a nice guy. Right. But he still has like that like Rob Lowe delivery and like affectation. He's just a douchebag. He's, <laughs> I don't use that word. He's just a douchebag. He's a huge douchebag. Um, okay. So, uh, as I was saying before, I got mm. off track talking about Rob Lowe's punchable face. So punchable. Um, yeah, the business guy, Noah. So Noah's kind of like the worst. As I was watching that intro scene where they're like pitching him the idea to buy Wayne's World. Because all I could think of was just like, you know, like CEOs at video game produ- production companies. And it's just like, oh boy. This is just, like, him talking about Xantar and it being, like, this very simple game with, like, mechanics that are just built to take people's money. I'm like, oh, shit, this is this is just phone games. This is just, like, Candy Crush and shit. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. And I was like, oh, man, the shitty people in the game industry and just shitty people in general, like, businessmen, it hasn't changed at all since no, the 90s. No, one thing... One thing I loved about that same scene, too, is like, he's like, well, you know, of course, I never mentioned the games, the commercials, because the 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 technology moves so much faster than the advertising. But the yeah. first scene in the movie is him listing off all of the games that they've got. And it's just right? like, no, that's just total bullshit. You don't, you're just lying. Right. To, for no reason, like what, to seem like you're, you know, your industry in front of these guys who are trying to sell you something like there's no there's no reason for it to be written like that to the point where i'm like do was it a mistake in the writing it's also weird because like they don't even necessarily like play video games or anything on wayne's world there's nothing there are no other references to video games at all and like part of that is like that's like the metal scene and like you know, drugs, because obviously yep. Wayne and Garth smoke weed somewhere off camera. Oh, yeah. Um, no, man, it's it's just Red Rope Licorice. Yeah, yeah. They're just Stay tuned for Red Wayne's Red World, too. Yeah, that's it. They melt um, it down and inhale the, I don't know. Yeah, they vape it. They yeah, we're, va- low- <laughs> we're vaping <laughs> pure licorice ac- extract. Red Rope Licorice Scented Vape Sludge. Yeah, vape sludge. I love vape sludge. Get get at me, sludge. The, that's our new company. Get sludged. That sounds great. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little <laughs> little off. That's off okay. Topic here. That's allowed. Um, Mike Myers is so in character throughout this whole film, and like even when he's laughing, he like tucks his hair behind his ears, and it's the best. He, I, I find it hard to believe that he's not a method actor. I don't know anything about his acting style, but I, if someone was like, yeah, he stayed in character as Wayne the entire production of that film, I would not be surprised at all. I, I'd be like kind of surprised if he didn't. Just mildly surprised if he didn't stay in character like the whole time. Or at least like half the time. Like I, 
I feel like, um, well, my, my dad's in a lot of plays and right. yep. when he's in those plays, a lot of times, almost like half the time that I'll hang out with him when I like go visit or whatever, he'll be like doing his character and he'll be like talking in like a French accent just because he needs to practice. Just it. trying it out and, and trying to get it. Yeah. 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 I suppose we should mention that you've been watching this film for a long time and have a bit of a storied history. Very long time. This was actually my first time watching the film with the original dub, as I'm used to the Devon dub. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wayne's World 2 is definitely my strong suit, stronger suit when it comes to reciting. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a Kevlar The entire suit. script. It's like a Kevlar suit, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a meat suit. <laughs> yeah, Lady Gaga. La- yeah. Lady Devon. That's me. Yeah. Hello. Um, one of the other things when we were talking about tropes, they make good use of like television show and like talk show tropes. At the very beginning when uh what's his name? Ron Paxton comes down to demonstrate the suck cut. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, Wayne goes, Oh, he's gonna put that thing on your melon and he goes I'm fully prepared to give a complete demonstration. It's like the slap chop. It's like that exact same thing, but really bad. And like you look at him, you're like, I don't trust Ron Paxton. (laughs) I don't trust (laughs) Ron Paxton. I wouldn't wouldn't want him to suck or cut me. I wouldn't. (laughs) Oof. I I wouldn't. I would not uh, vote for him and I would not allow him to look after my kids or even look at my kids i think if he looked at my kids i'd gouge his i'd suck cut his eyeballs out of his skull (laughs) i bury a fucking bowie knife so deep into his chest that he could see the steam rise out even though it's summer or something i put the knife in a freezer Basically, what I'm saying is, I care. I carry a frozen knife around in a Coleman cooler all the time, just in case I see Ron Paxton in public. Well, it, it sucks because I can't really let go of it. It's stuck to my hand. It's frozen. Get one that has like a wooden handle, and you can warm up nice. I don't know. See, I would, but they won't let me into the knife store because I'm brandishing this frozen knife. <laughs> the knife store. <laughs> it's really cold. I said, keep it in a cooler, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're. Drifting into like a D&D podcast. Oh, yes, my knife has a plus five frost attack. Thrust. I'll fucking <laughs> thrust, show you thrust, thrust attack, attack, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Suck Cut. <laughs> <laughs> as you can see, it sucks as it cuts. And, you know, in regards to the um, the television tropes, not to be confused with the uh, website, they have like the cue cards and that's like one of the best bits where it just says, like, sphincter boy and shit on them. Yeah, like, really <laughs> random, mean shit. This, like, like this man has goats. no penis. He blows goats, I have proof, yeah. They are at, it reminds me, we had this friend named who I, I wasn't really friends with him, but he was kind of like, your friend, and I just really, like, fuck with him all the time. Like, all the time. way meaner shit than I would do to anyone else. And, like, on some level, I'm, like, I regret it because it's it's bad to think of myself looking back and be, like, I was that much of an asshole. But at the same time, I'm, like, it was just the one guy and he's kind of a dick. So, okay. Um, 
and it it just Wait, hold on what does this have to of... do with with he blows goats i have proof like that sort of fuckery that's yeah that's that yeah. sort of fuckery is like when you absolutely don't give any fucks about what this person like thinks or what like yeah. effect they could have on your life you're just like yeah fuck this guy that's that's true that makes sense that's good um that's... can can we talk about so we talked a little bit about Cassandra and like her success and she's a musician. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about her actual band? Cause they're bad. <laughs> they're pretty bad. And her ballroom blitz cover is pretty bad. Oh dude. And it goes off. Like it go- the vocals go off time at the end. Second chorus. And it gets me every time. And I'm like, holy shit. Why didn't you just dub over that? Like they're not tracking it live in the film. Why didn't you fix that, guys? Holy. And the the drummer looks so whack. He is whack. That's how you play the drums. Whack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, whack drummer. That's really good. <laughs> Podcast is over. We're done. We we fucking peaked. Well, no, here's the thing. We took notes on the movie beforehand. We each took notes separately. The mm-hmm. note I have here is in bold, Crucial Taunt, which is the name of Cassandra's band. And then the point is, good lord, they're bad. <laughs> yeah. I, that's all. <laughs> I just wanted to bring this up. Like, they're not good. And uh, to her credit... Tia Carrere, the the actress who plays Cassandra, does her own vocals in the movie. And, you know, she's good in a lot of the other parts, like, singing-wise. Like, as a band, like, she's kind of what you'd expect from a local act, and she's not that bad, like... Sure, yep. But then that last scene is specifically god-awful. I don't know if, like, she ate a bunch of nails or something. Or fried chicken. (laughs) Both nails and fried chicken it literally sounds like her like nails on a chalkboard is what her voice sounds like in that last song yeah and it's like well first of all what i never understood was why is the last song they do when they're trying to convince the big record label guy that they're good why is the last song they do a cover because presumably this is the only song that this guy's ever heard them play yeah. And if I was like, man, I got the attention of a record guy, oh, shit. And my band was like, yeah, let's play this cover for him. It's going to be great. He'd be like, do you have any original material? We're going to play Enter Sandman and feed him spaghetti. That's exactly right. No, Enter Sandman came later. It was Seek and Destroy. Oh, sorry, sorry. Digging further into the lore of my musical background. Spaghetti dinner. Do you, so speaking of that, scene with ballroom blitz oh god and the fact that we have to listen to it three different times oh yeah can we talk about can we talk about the three different endings yeah yeah i uh i really like that twist of like they're they you know you're going along in the movie and it keeps going and then you get to that scene and the guy comes in and he's like yeah i'm not signing you fuck it like and everyone just is shit yep and everything's garbage yeah and the movie doesn't like prepare you in any way it's just like oh by the way we're going off of this bridge and takes like a hard turn yep and you're just like oh okay well, and you know what 
I think that, well, number one, it could have just been the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. If they if they were just like, yep, and then Wayne and Garth, like the house burned down, and then Cassandra and Benjamin were there on a tropical beach, roll credits. I would have been like, wow, like what a hard left turn. But that's it. That's the end. Because that would have been hilarious in its own way. Mm-hmm. But also, it actually seems like the real ending to me because of the likelihood of the plot events unfolding that way. I think, like, other than Rob Lowe having any, like, semblance of victory, I think you're right. Like... I mean, the bad guys win sometimes. No, 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 but, like... I. Or sorry, I mean like victory in terms of like he ends up dating Cassandra. Like I don't think that that's really no, that's realistic. a bit that's a bit too much. Yeah, for sure. Because the, the scene with the snake is like where she's like, "Oh wait, fuck this guy!" Like this guy's the worst. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's like okay, it's between. Well, no, I was gonna say it's between you know Rob Lowe and Wayne. And then Wayne messes up. She's like, you screwed my career. And then he, she leaves. You would imagine that she wouldn't go back to Rob Lowe. She'd just go away yeah. from Wayne. Yeah, she, she, she's a strong, independent woman, and she don't need no man. Except for, like, her, her drummer and guitarist. Um, and is there a second guitarist? She plays bass, right? Uh, I think it's a, it's, yeah, it's a trio. Okay, so she just needs two men. Um, in a platonic Maybe there sense. are three of them. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, the drummer was bad, though. Dude. <laughs> he looks so whack. He, look, he looks like, like, Motley Crue's, like, cyst they cut off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Also, what I think is interesting, speaking of Motley Crue, is that Garth wears a Motley Crue shirt for most of that movie, but they don't bring up Motley Crue at all in either of the films. They bring up Aerosmith, and he wears an Aerosmith shirt a lot, and they go to Alice Cooper, the concert, and they go to Aerosmith concert in the second one, but there's nothing, there's not even, like, an allusion to Motley Crue. You know, it would make, like, it would make more sense to have something related to Queen, considering there's the big Bohemian Rhapsody scene, but, don't know. Isn't, someone's wearing, like, a specifically a Queen Bohemian Rhapsody shirt at some point. I think it's somewhere in there. Oh, I also wanted to mention the fucking hockey scene is the most like unnecessary thing ever where they're just like hanging out playing hockey. Yeah. And it's kind of like an excuse to get the the jerseys in there and kind of nod to Mike Myers being Canadian. Well, it's the Chicago team, though. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. But still, it's just like friends hanging out, you know, having a little good time. And then Stacy drives by. And she eats shit. Like, holy fuck. I can't, hold on. I can't get through this, this episode without saying, what am I going to do with a gun rack? We haven't talked about that, and I just needed to, needed to bring that up. Get the net. Sometimes that's the only reason people watch that movie, you know? Haha. <laughs> if it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset. Sometimes that's the only reason that you watch that movie at 3 a.m. with me and our other drunk friends. That's right. Just watch the entire movie for that and then turn it off because that's near the beginning and then we need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, because we're all tired. Right. Well, more likely we don't even turn it off. We probably all just fall asleep. That's likely. Yeah. <laughs> Devin, shut the fuck up. Oh, sorry. How's that for ASMR? 
Um, <laughs> oh, I like there's the foxy lady scene. Yes, of and course. And I feel like this is a thing that's underutilized in modern comedies is the like dream or like daydream cutaway sequence where like it's showing what this character is thinking about doing in their head. Right. And it's like Garth Garth isn't going to fucking do I it. I like to think that Garth is totally going to do that. He will eventually. That's his character arc. But I like that this is like a tool that allows you to show what the character wants to be like. And it's like nothing ever uses it anymore. That's true. You know, um, not so much with the foxy lady scene, but with references to other movies or shows. That's also, that's not something that, that many new or recent movies do a lot. Like referential humor? Yeah, like with the, the Terminator cop uh, pulling Wayne over or doing like the entire opening of Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> yeah, I think that I honestly wonder if Scary Movie and like all those movies just like destroyed reference humor because that's all they are. Yeah, that's possible. That's true. Because it's like, oh, now Shaggy's making a cameo and he's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and true. like that's kind of the right era, and, and also like in those movies, it would just be like the things actually showing up instead of the characters we know acting them out, which makes it way better. Like it would have been, it would have been a very different thing if they were like, "Hey, we're in Milwaukee, isn't that the brewery?" And then they go, and then it's like plays the actual opening, and it's like they're seeing the people, yeah. but no, they reenact it, which means they're actively engaging in their own enjoyment for it, and it. This is, like, more on, like, a meta context of evaluating the movie as a product. Sure. But it shows that they put the effort in to refilm it, that they, like, actually cared about this, and it wasn't just to fill time. That's right. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's, like, a big thing that you see in, like, Family Guy and stuff. With the cutaways? Yeah. Like, the Conway Twitty thing is the perfect example. Oh, my God, yeah. You don't even have to animate it. But no... But no, but that at the same time, it's so obvious that it's that that it works, right? Where Peter's like, in some cases, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Conway Twitty, and then it just goes and it's like a full four minute song, and then the credits go. It's like, yep, we were out of animation. We finished the episode, Conway Twitty. Here you go. But that's the thing; you can do that like once, maybe twice, and they. I'm pretty sure they did it like five times. Is it that much? I I remember at least like a third. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. Well, my opinion on Family Guy has declined greatly over the last while. Oh, definitely. Well, that's just kind of how it happens. We're not reviewing Family Guy today. We're not. We're not reviewing Family Guy ever. So we talked about the real ending. Let's talk about the Scooby-Doo ending. Yeah, let's talk about the Scooby-Doo ending. To me, you can tell me if you if you feel differently, but to me, the Scooby-Doo ending is just for comedy. Do you feel like it just really represents uh, his like feelings of inadequacy towards his father? <laughs> Excuse me? I don't know. Just the theory I was working on. Sorry. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of funny. Eh? Yeah, funny. I think that I think that um, the old man withers or dithers or jithers. Withers, yeah. Whatever it was. Um, I think he represents Wayne as an old man. It's kind of an interstellar thing where, like, he's aged, you know? And he says he says to them, I would have... I would have gotten away with it, too. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gotten away with two of them. <laughs> two of what? 
<laughs> I think, okay, here's what I think. I think the only reason it couldn't have been the real ending of the movie is because part of it doesn't feel final. Oh, totally. Right? So that so they come in, and Buddy goes, Hi, I'm Frankie Sharp, Sharp Records. I just saw your performance in my limo. And Wayne goes, Great, we got in. Yeah, yeah. So that wraps it up, but there's just one thing left to check. And then they do the Mr. Withers, who was there for like two seconds. He had one other line in the movie. Well, he's been there the whole time because he, he was Rob Lowe. He was the monster all along. That's right. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, that's kind of clever in the fact that that implies that Rob Lowe is a monster. And he is. You're right. Is it is it as deep as we think it is? Oh, it's deep. It's a deep movie. It's, it's a deep, deep film. <laughs> I think it's a deep like, film. Like, I know... I know a lot of people are like talking about like uh, Island of Dogs and like oh yeah um, you know Wes one. Anderson's works and I think he can uh, suck Wayne Campbell's. You think he can suck and or cut? <laughs> yeah, I think he can suck and cut. <laughs> I think I could trust Wes Anderson to suck and cut. I just can't trust that other guy. You mean you don't like his director's cuts? You prefer the theatrical cut? No, no, no. I would, I would trust him to suck and cut. Right. Do you think that there's anything more to the happy ending of Wayne's World than just being the happy ending? Well, I just I wanted to say that Rob Lowe's character, Benjamin, also known as Rob Lowe, um, just comes off as like the most like gross kind of predatory person. Oh, absolutely. He does. He's just constantly like hitting on Cassandra and I think the most like clear sign of that is when he fucking orders Chinese takeout as if it's like supposed to impress her. And oh, yeah, he asks he asks if like she wants to choose and she's like, no, it's fine. Like, yeah, it's so just like, oh, and he could have just been like, yes, hello, I'll have fucking chicken chow mein. But he's like speaking Cantonese. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> oh man, he's just the worst. I want him to die. So that's my big problem with the good ending, is that I think that there's like a true ending. Like you have to watch through the movie again on New Game Plus, and you're going right. to unlock the true ending, in which um, the happy ending happens, and then after fading to black or whatever, it like cuts back, and they're just all kicking Rob Lowe on the ground. And like, it's not... <laughs> It's not You're, like a comedic, it's not a comedy kind of kicking. It's like, there's there's blood, and it's not from like a wound even. He's just kind of coughing it up, and he just eats shit, and they piss on him. Because so he's the worst. Well, to, to, to be clear, we're talking about <laughs> Rob Lowe's character, Benjamin, in Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. I think Rob Lowe is just a lovely man. He's really he endearing. Seems, he seems really cool. And you know what? He, um, he does Benjamin not look like he's aged a day. Benjamin is not a good character. No, no, no. Benjamin is a great character. Benjamin Benjamin is a awful person. Do you, So you think that... Um, there's, so there's the sad ending slash what I think could be the real ending. And there's the happy ending, which also is a candidate for the real ending. But then the true ending is like a convergence of these. Yeah, where all of the bad luck from... Uh, the bad ending is just all directed, like all of it from every character who would suffer in that ending 
it's all being directed at Benjamin. Maybe what happens in the the true ending of Wayne's World is I think they break Benjamin. Well, maybe he go. Hey, good one. <laughs> maybe he goes because at the very end he goes what like. I know that, you know, it, it can get you far in America, but it can't get you everything. And Wayne's like, oh, isn't it great? We're all better people. And then Benjamin says, you know what, Wayne? I want to move you out of your mother's basement. Use my penthouse as a studio. And so they all move there. But then the fire happens, right? The fire that happens in the sad ending okay. happens at Benjamin's okay. penthouse. And then he burns to death. And then they kick his corpse. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. I think that that's a good... Good place to leave it. Kicking the charred corpse of Rob Lowe's character Benjamin in Wayne's World. So is this art good? You know what? So overall verdict, is this art good? I think uh, if someone was was to show me this and say, look, this is art, uh, and I didn't know anything about the movie, I might not say this is good art, but I would say it's a good film. Okay. See... I, I think I come at this from a perspective of anything created with the intent to be art that involves a level of craft and a level of like, I guess I'd say artistic intent or like emotion is how someone might say it. Right. Um, does it do its job? I think that anything that does that is art. And it's kind of like art is used as a term to declare that something is good. And I don't think that's accurate. I think that there can be I agree with that. good and bad art. Like, Birdemic is art. Uh, the Room is art. But... The Room is certainly art. But many people would say that they're bad art. Or at least bad. TBD whether you would say that or not. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, TBD. So, yeah, then I think this art is good. I think that this art is very good. I think I actually... I've enjoyed it more this time than I have in the past, because I think I got more of the references, and I just was kind of more attentive about watching it. And I think that it's a movie that demands your attention. So, um... Yeah, I think there's one more uh, piece of business to attend to, which is the selecting of the next pieces of art that we're going to be discussing. Alrighty. Do you want to go first? Yeah, so for next episode, uh, the movie that Alphonse is going to watch and review with me is Labyrinth uh, from 1986 with David Bowie. Ooh, all right. I've I've wanted to see this for a while, and I'm glad that this kind of gives me like a, a a forced opportunity to get into it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've never seen any movies with David Bowie in it, but I'm sure this will make uh, parts of Adventure Brothers make more sense. Oh, it will, for certain. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Okay. For you, I want you to listen to the album Igor by Tyler, the Creator. It came out very recently. I had a feeling this is what you were going to say, because you were bugging me about listening to it. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to make you listen to it through this. That's the beauty of this podcast, is we can just force each other to do shit i know you have an ulterior motive for putting this together oh yeah well (laughs) uh to to go a little behind scenes me and devin moved away from each other a few years ago just you know geographically um yes and not spiritual graphically yeah but we don't have as many opportunities to show each other 
you know, artwork or things that we're interested in. So we thought that this would be kind of a good opportunity for that. Uh, that being said, Igor is an album uh, by Tyler. It's his, like, I feel like it's kind of a departure, and he sort of said as much in a post when he uh, released it. It's definitely a lot less, like, rap-y. Okay. Like, there's, it's kind of more R&B-inspired. Um, and I just think it's it's really well-produced. It's very art um it's about like a a relationship triangle um or a love triangle as some might say right between tyler uh another male and the woman that that male is dating so it's like a gay interesting love story from tyler's perspective and he was sort of the well the the odd person out the yeah right Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff about uh, coming out, about like, I don't know. It's just really good. And I think you'll enjoy it from a musical perspective. Very cool. Um, if not for the subject matter that I think you might also enjoy. I will do my best to appreciate it. So I guess uh, one note um, about sort of the the gauging of lengths or the gauging of, of scope of a piece uh, that we were sort of discussing is if, if one of us gives, say, a movie, you know, averaging anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours long, uh, and the other gives an album, the expectation is that the the movie will be watched once and the album will be listened to two or three times, because usually albums are shorter. Um, and if there's a an episode that we want to do on like a book or something that takes a, a little bit more involvement, uh, we'll probably announce that uh, to be sort of discussed at a future date um, to give each other more time to to check that thing out so definitely taking that into account yeah all right well i think that this has been quite a success i think so too thanks for listening if you are still listening if you're not you won't get my thanks